It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming to you from hometown America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, Bedford, Virginia. Welcome to Cop Talk. I'm Captain Robert Kimbrell. And I'm Sergeant Joe Dooley. Joe, you know, I was looking over some recent articles and I found one that says, Indiana Chief, low pay makes departments training ground for other PDs. Um, And it was Chief Steve Forker. Uh, and he said that a third of his officers have left and gone to other departments. And this is uh, out of Michigan City, Indiana. Did I say Illinois, Joe, or did I say Indiana? It's said Indiana. Okay. So Michigan City, Indiana. He says uh, an exit interview highlighted some of the difficulties that Michigan City, Indiana Police Department has with officers leaving to go to work for neighboring departments. Police Chief Steve Forker said that uh, during an interview with an officer leaving Michigan City to go to just 12 miles away to Chesterton, uh, there were several benefits for the officer, but money was significant. He says, when I looked at the numbers with Chesterton, what he explained to us was that with four years of experience, he will be at $70,881.51, Forker said. Currently at the Michigan City Police Department, to reach 70,992, you have to be a 20-year patrol officer to reach that number. And Forker said low pay has turned the Michigan City Police Department into a training ground for other area police departments. Since 2015, Michigan City has had a total of 74 officers leave the department. And of those, 22 were planned retirements, 14 unplanned retirements, and 23 of those left for other departments. The department is currently short 15 officers, and attracting new officers is is very difficult. Currently, at three years on LaPorte Police Department, they're at $68,000. Three years at the Michigan City Police Department currently, they're at $54,631. And that's a $14,000 difference, Forker said. He also adds that he wants the department pay to be on par with neighboring communities so officers will want to stay and develop their career. Uh, Forker states, we are, tra- we are a training ground for other departments, and we are investing thousands of dollars into officers, and they are leaving us, and we are starting over. Uh, we have experienced this in Bedford, Joe, and uh, you know what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, while you were reading the quotes from the chief, I was thinking to myself exactly what was brought up at the very end of of that was that 
if you're not going to be competitive as far as pay or benefits or some allocation to, to equal what someone else is, you're going to hire people. The people of the community, the taxpayers, are, are paying taxes, and the town utilizes those funds to train and develop these officers by sending them to the academy and providing equipment and all those things. And then they turn around and leave. And if, you know, in that case, if they leave, let's just use us, for example. If we pay for an officer to go to the academy, we pay for their expenses during the whole time at the academy. We, we're paying their salary while they're working. That's all funding that's coming from taxpayer dollars and revenues from the department. If they go to the sheriff's office, part of the town taxes is what's used to pay, you know, for that officer. But they go to the sheriff's office. I'm not sure where the funding comes in or if it's part of anything. You know, I'm not that up to speed on their revenue versus ours. But if they leave to go to someone else, somewhere else like Lynchburg or another department within the state, they're certified, which gives them a benefit of being hired at a, maybe a higher pay scale, which is what maybe they're looking for. And in that case, we've we, and when I say we, because I live in the county as well, I'm a taxpayer here, just, you know, we've put the money into our departments for the resources that they need, and then they get drawn away by uh, a carrot that, and for lack of a better term, that, that's a little more pristine or looks a little better than uh, the one they started with. And we're just, we're losing money. And once you said you start over, you don't have the, the individual here to develop their career and be a part of the community and live and engage within the community and get to know the citizens of that community. And I, I just think it's a way of hemorrhaging money. And when, when the chief says that they're a training ground, a quote, it's, it's a training ground of what not to do. It's, it's, you know, take this as an example. Don't be like, a, don't be like us. Yeah, I agree 100%, you know, and, and one of the things that's really important for folks to understand, the listeners to understand, Joe, is, you know, the hiring process is expensive, mm -hmm. you know, for, for a police officer. Um, and when you when you talk about, uh, and this is for some of our listeners that are prospective applicants in the future to police departments, is when you're, when you're looking at how to get hired at a police department, you know, you, it normally... Includes what, Joe? You know, you you call them in. Well, first they fill out an application, you right. know, and and uh, send in the application. Maybe a resume, depending on you know what their their background is with their application <clears throat> packet. And then we review those, and we're like, okay. And we call them in for a a test date that consists of a physical agility test. Mm -hmm. And then if they pass that physical agility test, they'll immediately go into the classroom and take a written test. Mm -hmm. And uh, that written test will be graded. Uh, and if they pass the written test as well, then uh, they will most likely be called in for an interview. Right. Uh, in front of an interview panel made up of supervisors and officers from within the police department here in Bedford. Uh, and, and so that time period, you know, could take three months right there, you know. And uh, we try to move it through as quick as possible. But uh, when you're talking about the person actually from the time they actually apply to the time the date of the te first testing is and then to the time of the interview, you know, it can be a couple months, two to three months right. um, that, that that takes place. 
Well, then that person, you know, has to be given a conditional offer. Those that pass the interview that uh, move on to the next step will receive a conditional offer. And that conditional offers, offer is, is given to them prior to them actually going to uh, a, f- a full physical that includes a urine drug test mm-hmm. and also psychological testing. Right. You know, so there's a few other steps in there that they will have to pass before they get hired. And that all takes time because that's not on our time. That's on the time of those other organizations, such as, you know, the clinic or, or right. the psychological assessment, uh, you know, clinic. And uh, so and then we have to wait for those results to come back, mm-hmm. which is depending on other outside organizations like labs and, and other things like that. Uh, and then once we finally get all that back is when we can finally hire those folks. So, you know, what I'm, I'm trying to uh, tell folks out there is it, it's not uncommon to it take, you know, six to 12 months just to get hired right. at a police department going through all those processes. Um, and, uh, so just keep that in mind that it's, it's a long drawn out process there. And, and what, you know, is so interesting, Joe, from our side is we're waiting on that person because we have that vacancy right? and, and it's taking possibly six to, 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 to months to a year just to get the person through the hiring process before they even start the academy. To be able to wait the 20 plus weeks for the academy to That's be right. completed. Absolutely. So you, then you get in there and, and you know, you, you're in an academy for 20, 24 weeks, some, you know, and then, Joe, what happens? So you then they come out. The and you get put into an FTO process. That's right. So while Joe's answering his radio, folks, I'll, uh, you know, explain that process. So, you know, the field training process finally begins. And uh, that field training process is at least three months long, at least three months long. So, um, you know, that it's typical that even once we get an officer out, you know, get an officer hired, that officer will not be on the street for a year, Mm -hmm. Joe. So, you know, that's how long it takes. And and so you're typically looking at possibly two years even in, in, in a lot of departments from a time you have a vacancy till you're able to fill that vacancy and have that person out of training. And just as to add a little bit to that, the processes that you said just before, just to get the person hired and approved to be able to, to meet the standards, to be able to go to the Academy. Um, every one of those takes manpower. Um, the, there needs to be a test proctor that has to administer the test there's multiple officers that have to come down and assist with setting up and observing the obstacle course to make sure that there's no discrepancies during the course and testing, that it's all fair, and that we make sure that everything's done appropriately. Then after that point, you said, you know, they have to go through their interview panel. Well, there takes three supervisors, so they're either going to be people that are working or if they don't have someone available, I've had to come in before to to sit in on an interview panel and it may be a couple, um, maybe an hour for three people. So you got three hours out of your day or it may be the whole day. Yeah. And, and I left out what Joe, probably one of the most important things that I, I blew right by, which was the background. Yeah. I was getting to that. Talk about that. Well, depending on how many people that you give the conditional officer to office offers to, and they go through the process and we get to their backgrounds, well, there has to be a investigator assigned 
or someone that's had ba- background investigation experience. So if there's not enough investigators, say you had three investigators and two of them are being assigned to backgrounds and there's five backgrounds to do, you need to find other people or they're going to have to double up and delay the process because you know, one investigator can work on multiple backgrounds at a time, but it becomes very difficult. Um, so it usually gets distributed out. They try to distribute it out one to each investigator if possible because it's the easiest way to to keep everything all you know on track with one individual so you're not you know constantly yeah. in influx of information yeah um, it just Joe, simplifies the process being two people in, in, where we've done backgrounds in our past mm-hmm. um you know that takes a lot of manpower it like takes a lot, lot of time. time it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of time and it's it's based a lot of times on outside organizations because right, you're right. having to meet with people that may have known this person. You may be meeting with grade school teachers, high school teachers, uh, neighbors, you know, uh, uh, former uh, employers, and they all have their own schedules. Right. So you're working around their schedules to try to get that done. So background can can take a while to do. Uh, just know? for one background, just as an example, um, I drove to an elementary school in Orange County, Virginia, and talked to their elementary school guidance counselor, principal, the uh, sheriff of that county, um, and some of the other resources they had listed on there. We talked to other people in their lives that are not also listed on there just to get us a better feel, sure. not just the people that they put down. And, and what happens during those that, those interviews? That, a lot of times they tip you off on somebody else you probably need to talk to. Right. <laughs> so then you have to add that person down, look for their contact information, and then other departments, they have um, a release, uh, an authorization of release for their records or information, uh, which the applicant signs saying that we're free to talk to them about it. But um, like the captain was saying, that there's certain departments have different policies and protocols. Um, I had to do a background in Chesterfield, Virginia, and the only way that I could get any information was to physically drive to Chesterfield to the police department. I was allowed to go to the records room, check out the records, and I could document in writing whatever notes I wanted to take, but I could not photocopy or take any information with me. So, you know, I had a two-hour drive down. I went through all the notes and records and had to review um, everything from any disciplinary records or any commendations or uh, evaluations and take handwritten notes on that information and then turn it back in to the records clerk and have them review what it, making sure that I'd not accidentally moved something or left something or, you know, and it took all day. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's how long and drawn out these processes are, you know, but they're in place to make sure that, uh, you know, we do the best we can to ensure that, uh, the best people are hired, you know, and, and move through the process. So, yeah, we've, we've definitely had that issue here, Joe, you know, we definitely have the issue that we've dealt with, with, uh, you know, jurisdictions falling behind in pay, you know, mm-hmm. in Hampton Roads, I worked for a jurisdiction that was the highest paid jurisdiction uh, in Hampton Roads. And then over about a 10 year period of time, fell all the way down to being the exact bottom last mm-hmm. lowest paid jurisdiction in just 10 years period of time. Uh, and that is because they just failed to, you know, it, it was the, a, a council that said, well, you know, we just gave them this raise and then they decided not to give colas or not to give other things to keep us where we needed to be. 
mm-hmm. and all the other jurisdictions just caught up and passed us in no time at all. You know, right. so it's something that that folks need to understand. If if you don't, you know, if you neglect to give cost of living increases, and your neighboring jurisdictions are giving those, uh, you're or, or if even if you do give a cost of living, but yours is less than your neighboring jurisdictions, those neighboring jurisdictions will catch up and pass you in no right. time. And that is exactly what happened, uh, and that happens, you know, a lot around the country and uh, you can find yourself at rock bottom and losing all your police officers. And no matter how hard you recruit or try to retain those officers, they're going to go because they have to put food on the table and they have to provide for their family. And uh, there's a certain time where health insurance may become more expensive if they're paying for themselves and plus one or themselves and uh, the officer and a family uh, plan. Uh, where they just can't afford it. Well, I think we've discussed that on here before. Yeah. How expensive yeah. it is for the family plan. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's not because we have bad insurance coverage. We have great insurance coverage, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, here in Bedford. But the pay needs to stay up with the cost of insurance. And in Hampton Roads, that's another thing that happened was, that insurance kept on going up and the pay was not increasing to meet that demand. And and that's a quick way to lose your staff from your entire organization, much less the police department itself. You know, right. police department uh, is, is one of those where, especially right now uh, you've got departments giving sign on bonuses of 15 to $20,000 uh, for lateral transfers uh, and paying more money right off the bat, right. you know, so it's becoming uh, very competitive, and and if we don't stay up on both sides, both with starting pay and also with retainment and retention pay, uh, then we're going to have a problem, you know. And and you also, if you're going to bring in the best and brightest, and you want to bring in folks that you maybe you know you have some all stars in some of these other police departments, you're like, well, this person wants to come to Bedford. How do we get this person over here? You've got to be able to be, you know, pay more than what that person's making at their current job, or they're going to, they would be stupid to come over, you know, um, because they'll just fall further and further behind. And their retirement's based on the top three, 36 consecutive months of their career, whether it happens at the beginning of their career or at the end. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where you have to think of it like private companies. You know, you have to be able to think outside the box and go uh, and start uh, offering salaries for what the person brings to you. And that's what so many public sector organizations don't understand is that, you know, when you're bringing this person in, you need to be looking at what that person brings to you, meaning all this training and experience that that person has that you're not having to pay for. Right. You haven't paid a single cent of having to send that person and replace that person on road by paying another officer time and a half to cover the road while that person's gone for all this, you know, extensive training. Mm-hmm. That person's coming to you with all that. That person's coming to you all the, with all this experience uh, from another jurisdiction. Uh, and if that person passes the muster to get into your process and, and obtain the job, then it's obvious that, you know, the person's peers within our department were impressed with, with what that person's bringing to the table. Right. Uh, and so, you know, you got to be careful about awarding 
seniority, mm-hmm. you know, within your own police department, because that doesn't speak too well at all. Mm-hmm. What what you're what you're needing to do is look at what all these people are bringing on. So, for instance, if you say, okay, well, we're going to pay you know a little bit of seniority pay here and there, and and then, but we're going to bring people in at the midpoint from outside of the department starting now. Well, the people you have currently could actually be bypassed by somebody coming in from the outside right starting on day one but that's okay if that person is bringing in that type of extra skill yeah sets and training abilities. and experience right exactly exactly knowledge skills and abilities uh and the other thing you, you need to be looking at too is what kind of liability is the individual officer have with the extra duties that that officer is performing within your department so if you have, say, two police officers and one is a firearms instructor, a defensive tactics instructor, and a driving instructor, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, that officer is carrying a lot of liability, you know, right. because firearms alone it carries a huge liability. You're responsible for everybody you've ever trained in your entire career for your entire life. Right. So you have to, you know, remember that person might go to Lynchburg or Bedford County or somewhere else and they do something with a firearm. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're on the hook for that because they're going to come back and say, well, how did you train them? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're you're in that vicarious liability chain. Right. You know, uh, but so many places do not even look at that at all. And so they just say, oh, well, this this guy's this rank and this guy's this rank. We'll just keep them. Uh, at this at this pay, and this guy's been in Bedford PD longer, so we'll pay him this much more. What you need to be looking at is what they've brought in and what they're actually doing, and the and the risk that they're taking financially on their own. Right. You know, with with that liability. Well, so, if, if you don't, you're going to be on the opposite end of that, and you're going to be losing those people. Yeah, you'll lose them, and and it's it's sad, but uh, the message that a lot of jurisdictions send is that's exactly what they feel is they don't care about losing that person. That's sad because when that person leaves. The department fills a void. I mean, there's a void there mm-hmm. that they're going to have to fill, and it's going to take a lot of money and time to get somebody up to that level of the person you had if you would have just compensated them properly. You know, right. so we've definitely experienced this in Bedford, and you know, uh, it's definitely a problem that we see here in Virginia. You know, our town manager here, of course, is trying to address some of the issues currently. Currently, and we certainly appreciate that. And uh, I may know, you know, Joe, I've never made any secret about it that Bart Warner is a great town manager and Bedford's lucky to have him. But it also takes a good town council for things to really move forward, you know. And, and Joe, what I find is a real shame uh, is that when you have a talented manager, but then a council that, re- you know, really struggles because of inner bickering and egos of the counselors and whatnot. And for example, right now, people in Lynchburg, they wait to see the fireworks at each city council meeting because it's like watching a reality TV show. You know, uh, at a recent meeting, it was alleged that one male council member was caught on an open mic calling the female mayor the stupidest per- stupidest person I've ever seen. You know, under his breath, 
And this is certainly not a good example of leadership and makes the entire city look bad. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's amazing to me how many council members throughout the country cross the line like that and actually violate the city manager form of government or the council manager form of government actually is what I'm going to say. And, you know, it, uh, if you work long enough in the public sector, Joe, you're going to tend to see these and encounter a few of these council members who choose to push the envelope uh, in influencing the administrative and management side of local government. And I have definitely experienced this in, in my career and continue to see it today. You know, for those of you that work in the public sector out there that listen to us and wonder what behavior patterns, for instance, are, and actions are problematic when dealing with counselors, I'm going to give you some examples of what I've actually experienced and, you know, a mayor or a council member doing any of the following. So, you know, one of the things is directly contacting staff at various levels of an organization, suggesting and sometimes demanding that certain things be done or not done. And that is just inappropriate. That should not be happening. You know, um, another example would be displaying anger or temper directly at a staff member or directed towards a staff member at various levels of the organization. And, and you know, I've seen this and heard of this being done even in open council sessions. You know, and definitely in closed council sessions, mm -hmm. you know, and that is just improper. Uh, another example would be attempting to influence code enforcement activities on properties near the counselor's home, including some properties the counselor wants to buy for personal or family financial gain. You know, that's in inappropriate. Uh, that's corrupt, actually. Right. I'll just call it what it is. Uh, another example would be, uh, you know, a counselor or mayor communicating the clear expectations that the counselor was entitled to rights and privileges above and apart from other residents because he's a member of the city family. You know, that's wrong. Oh, that's not good. No, that's wrong as well. You know, and it doesn't matter if that is, is, uh, is something that has financial gain behind it or just because, you know, just because I want to park in a certain place. So I'm going to, you know, say I'm a counselor. So I'm, I'm going to park here, even though the public can't park here or, or, you know, I'm going to do this or that and, and get away because, you know, we, we're, none of us are above the law, Joe. Absolutely. You know, not. and especially when we're talking about council members, well, members of the town staff and police officers, we're not above <laughs> the law and we need to set that example. And that's not setting a good example. Well, we as police officers are set to a higher standard because we enforce the laws that the governing bodies make. And we should be setting ourselves accountable to to that higher standard to make ourselves an example of the things that should should be done and not stray into the, the world of things that shouldn't be. And council members or politicians are all elected officials, and they're elected based on the people that they're supposed to represent. There's no way that they should have certain privileges or entitlements, like you said in the paragraph before. They should be working as an entity for the people and the voice for the people that they are have been elected by. Yes, yeah. their primary function is to make sure that the community that they're serving is is has a voice and that the issues within that community are being addressed at the governing body by these elected officials. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, it's, it's really important and really problematic when you find out that uh, a mayor or, or a council member uh, is in a session calling for, for somebody to be fired, hmm. you know, that, uh, that is, is just wrong at every level. And it's a severe violation, you know, if a mayor or council member was to do that. That is a severe, severe violation. 
And Joe, I could go on and on about this, but I'll just leave you with, with this, folks. For our listeners, you know, these are violations and definitely examples of misconduct, period. You know, that's undisputed. And if you experience any of these working in the public sector, then you should start the process to have a counselor removed from office. And, and there's three questions that really are, are out there. And what's, that's really, what did you know? When did you know it? And what did you do about it? And, and that is, is something that the leadership of any city or town or organization needs to be asking themselves. What did you know? What did you know? Or when did you know it? And what did you do about it? And if we are, you know, to strive to be leaders of ethical organizations, we must be prepared to respond to these questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, well, just like you were talking about the training, you know, if there's a deficiency in training, you're a firearms instructor. I'm a firearms instructor. If there's a deficiency in training, it's going to be what did you know about the deficiency? When did you know it? And what did you do about it? And if you can't answer those questions, then you're liable for misconduct as far as as a certified instructor and making sure that we are training people properly because if they do something wrong and we did nothing about it then we're ne- we're negligent. You're and, exactly right, you know, and and so when and, we talk about leadership Joe, whether it's from the council members, uh, you know, a t- town city management, whatever the case is or in the police department, you know, departments have to be creative and leaders must be innovative. And so if you're in a leadership role at your organization, folks, we have some five, actually five suggestions from our friend Gordon Graham from Lexapol that we're going to discuss shortly today with you. And Joe, what is Gordon's first suggestion? The first suggestion is to make sure you're connected and engaged with your people. Uh, 2021 Gallup poll found that 43% of employees who left their jobs told a coworker about their intentions to leave. Yeah, Joe. And, and, you know, what do you think about that? Because it's stuff that I've heard, you know, within different departments I've been at where mm-hmm. you, you tend to have officers say, you know, talking amongst oh, each yeah, other. And they, yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's real important is what we're saying is that supervisors, especially um, within departments, listen for that rumor mill. Mm-hmm. And actually, if they hear that somebody's unhappy, they need to to we get need involved. to talk to our people. That's right. Be, you know, get involved. If they're wanting to leave me as a supervisor of a shift, I want to know, why are you unhappy? Is there something that the department can do? Is there something that would, that we can feasibly give to you that would make things better? And I'm not saying go out in some extravagant fashion and we get a, you know, a $20,000 raise who wouldn't be happy about that regardless of where you work. But, if you know, if there's something that, well, I don't feel like um, my suggestions are being heard, or I don't feel like I'm a part of the team, or uh, I'd like to do more training. I see other people get to go to some training, and and I have interest in these things. Well, those are small things that can be done over the course of people's career that make them feel more engaged and more relevant, and makes them want to stay. Yeah, you know, and and so it's real important, like you said, Joe, to just be involved with your employees and and talk to your staff. The other thing is there may just be something bothering them personally. Yeah. You know, and we have resources that can be utilized to assist with that as well. That's right. What about number two, Joe? Number two is be empathetic. This doesn't mean handing out participation trophies to everyone. It does mean listening to people's concerns and openly receiving their feedback. Good communication is essential. And I think I touched on that a yeah. little bit in question and yeah. point number one. We talked about that. Absolutely right. You know, and and, it, and that could be as simple, Joe, as what? Just like kind of like I, you saw me do with uh, Officer Spurberg today. Mm-hmm. You know, 
it was something as simple as, as seeing the officer out there on foot in 29 degree weather without a coat on trying to find a missing person right. in the middle of a field and in the middle of woods and walking through, you know, all that wetlands over there mm-hmm. and uh, just doing it, you know, because it needed to be done. And, and, and he, he's the one that actually instigated that. He's the one that actually did it on his own. Right. You know, uh, we didn't say, Hey, get out there and check that field. He said, Hey, I'm going to go check this real quick, just in case he fell over into this area. Yeah. Because know? it was a spot that we couldn't visibly see from where yeah. we our vantage point. And just us saying, Hey, that was a good job. You did a really good thing there. And I really appreciate you doing that and, and showing him and, and reinforcing that was the kind of behavior that we want to see from our officers. That right. goes a long way. Yeah. What's next, Joe? Number three is empower your people. Identify creative solutions to common problems. Personalize the workload to extend possibility and uh, leverage their strengths. Yeah, you know, and and we're doing that here. You see Chief Lewis leading the way on that, you know, trying to make sure that, uh, you know, people are are being encouraged to do what they enjoy doing and asking them to improve uh, even even in that, but not forcing necessarily – people to uh, do something they're uncomfortable with right. uh, totally. So yeah, we've been doing that. What, what else do we got? Number four is encourage and inspire your personnel by recognizing their accomplishments. Yeah. And, and Joe, we got that coming up. Chief Lewis has got a uh, awards c- ceremony right. coming up here soon on, and uh, you know, giving out some awards and whatnot to the officers. And fifth um, on the, the five points is help struggling employees take time to listen and help them realize their potential. Career development is a huge factor in retention. Yeah, and we're working uh, on that, you know, as we speak, you know, with, with more training and more opportunities for our folks and for them to reach out. So, Joe, just real short, I want to talk about one other thing before we start to close out here, and that's out of Josephine County, Oregon. The state of Oregon will pay $1.6 million to settle the wrongful death lawsuit in a fatal shooting of a 55-year-old man by two state troopers eight years ago in rural Josephine County. The Oregon Court of Appeals previously previously ruled that troopers Gregory Smith and Heather West trespassed on the Box property before they ended up shooting Robert Box. They were responding to a report of a domestic assault, but as they were on their way, dispatchers updated them that the alleged victim, Box's daughter, already had left the home and was on her way to the hospital, according to the suit. State police supervisors and co-workers knew Smith had lengthy, documented history of making poor decisions and using dangerous tactics leading to his removal from the state police SWAT team in late February of 2015, just three months before he shot Robert Box, according to court records. But they turned a blind eye and failed to critically evaluate his fitness for duty and remove him from patrol duty. Uh, and that was according to attorney Richard D. Adams, one of the lawyers who filed the suit on behalf of the box's widow. Uh, Adams and co-counsel David D. Park alleged that in the suit they, uh, that S- Smith suffered from tunnel vision on the job and was unable to process information as it was presented to him, leading to the fatal shooting of numerous unnecessary and unavoidable or avoidable uses of force in police car chases. So in 2015, Smith's Smith's fellow SWAT members reported that he continues to make mistakes and to overreact to scenarios with a consistency that is not in line with his tenure on the team, according to the lawsuit. So a member of the SWAT team had documented his observation in 2015 that Smith's decision-making and overreaction have the potential to lead to someone being seriously injured or killed on real-world operations, uh, according to court records. So, Joe, I, I just mentioned that because I wanted to tell our listeners that work for police departments that 
especially supervisor, you must document what is going on with your with your personnel. Right. Um, because, you know, when you start talking about legal terms and, and start throwing things around like wanton disregard or reckless endangerment or, or you know, negligence or uh, deliberate indifference, you know, um, you, you start into that area where things can fall into to any of those categories if you don't watch out. And, and when you're talking about, you know, that incidents are occurring that could endanger that officer, other officers, or the public in general, and, and fail to do anything about it or fail to address it, uh, that's a huge problem. And that led to, what did I say, Joe, $1.6 million, I believe. Yes. Um, so, so folks, make sure that you're documenting things properly, giving your uh, officers feedback, mentoring, coaching them, and correcting them where, where needed. Uh, and make sure that that goes up the chain of command so the chain of command understands exactly what's going on um, with that or that liability could lie on your head mm -hmm. for not doing so. Right. So, Joe, this is about the part of our uh, show where we pay tribute to a fallen officer or canine. This week, we'd like to pay tribute to police officer Julian Becerra from the Fount Fountain Police Department in Colorado. End of watch was Saturday, February the 11th, 2023. Police officer Julian Becerra succumbed to injuries sustained nine days earlier when he fell from an overpass in Colorado Springs during a vehicle pursuit of carjacking suspects. The suspects had been pursued by multiple agencies over the course of several hours. At about 7.15 p.m., they attempted to carjack a second vehicle at the Lowe's Travel Plaza in Fountain and led officers on another pursuit towards Colorado Springs. The vehicle was partially disabled after stop sticks were deployed as it exited I-25 and to South Academy Boulevard. The vehicle was stopped just east of Hartford Street, and all three occupants fled on foot with officers in pursuit. Officer Becerra was chasing one of the suspects when he fell from an overpass to the pavement approximately 40 feet below. He was transported to local hospital, where he remained uh, until succumbing to his injuries on February the 11th, 2023. All three suspects were apprehended. Officer Becerra was a U.S. Air Force veteran. He had served with the Fountain Police Department for four and a half years and was signed to the K-9 unit. He is survived by his wife and two children. Well, we definitely pay tribute to that officer and all the officers and fallen canines that uh, have given the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, to our friends over in Lynchburg, we hope that your town, or your, I'm sorry, your city council straightens themselves out over there and starts moving things forward for you guys and that you get that tax break you're looking for over there with the recent increases in, uh, in real estate and everything. And, and hopefully they'll stop the inner bickering long enough to make some, uh, legitimate decisions for you over there. And we want to tell you folks and remind you always, we're your friends, we're your neighbors, and most of all, we are your police department and we thank you for your support. I'm Captain Robert Kimbrell. And I'm Sergeant Joe Dooley. Bedford, peace out.